Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and today we're lucky enough to have Connor Nolan back with us. Uh, He's the guy from Ireland who his first podcast a lot of you really enjoyed. Well, enjoyed. You thought he was really good for speaking up about... Uh, anorexia and when, which happened to him when he was 12 and then the following ones we did were on ambition and his uh, where he was going in life and then the last one we heard was about his depression and there's been quite a bit of feedback on that so it's really good um, and I had to have Connor come back again because we've got more stuff to talk about and when I originally spoke to him I said can we cut your story up into three or four podcasts because he had so many things that had gone on in his life. And then when we did the first one on anorexia, afterwards I said to him, wow, you're such a great communicator. I'm glad I booked you for all those podcasts because they're going to be brilliant. So anyway, hello, Connor. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. What's it like in Ireland today? You're going through a heat wave, I hear. Well, it's just over. It just ended yesterday. It is pouring rain again now. So we're, I'm kind of glad the heat has gone, but I'm not so glad to see sort of dull conditions. It, it, it was very hot, but I'm sort of regretting about, complaining about it now because it's okay. kind of gone the other way now. So typical, typical. Yeah. So what were we going to talk about today? I think we were going to talk about bullying, bullying and relationships. Yeah, we're going to delve back into that. Yeah. What happened to you in regards to bullying? Yeah, so this would have happened, um, I suppose, shortly after the battle of anorexia. So I recovered, you know, I was back to full health, but I was still a lot smaller and a lot slimmer and lighter yeah. than the guys around me. And, you know, like I said before, at 14, some guys grow very quick. I, I wasn't that guy at all. I was still very small. So I became sort of an easy target. Um, and a lot of it used to happen on the school bus, like to and from school. Yeah. There'd be a group of us and we'd all kind of sit together just because of the, in the order we got on the bus. And there'd be stuff like, you get a jumper stolen, you get a tie stolen, you get a pocket ripped off your shirt. And then there'd be stuff like a big thing in Ireland is sort of dead arms, you know, hitting each other on yeah. the arm. And for me being a lot smaller, I, for me, that was, that was a, a brutal blow. So I'd come home, I'd be covered in bruises, you know, and I, I'd try and cover them up because I didn't want family to see any of this that was going on. And all, all this happened for maybe about, maybe about, you know, two years. Yeah. And like I said before, when I, when I got to 15 and when I got a little bit, little bit bigger from the gym, it kind of stopped. So I was yeah. kind of relieved when it did stop. But I never, I never forgot it. You know, even, even in my later teens, these guys were a lot more respectful. I could still never forget what had happened before. And all the while it had been happening, I had just said to myself, oh, this is, this is lad culture. This is a bit of fun. This is just a bit of banter. You know, there's, no, there's nothing sinister about this. Yeah. And it was only in years to come when I look back, I realized, no, do you know what? That, that wasn't right. And I suppose towards my later years in school, I had other friends with whom I was a lot closer to than these other fellas. And I began to realize, you know, maybe they're not my true friends. So I began to have these realizations. And then when I, when I got to college, what, what really showed me that they weren't my friends is when I got to college, we all were in the same city, but we never met up for a drink. I'd meet them out by chance, but I never actively met them. And yeah. I, it never crossed my mind. Oh, I should ask them, do you want, did they want to go for a pint? And that's when I realized, you know what? I have no desire to be around these people because of yeah. how they treated me before. So I was in denial for a long time. And it was, it was in my later years, I'd say nearly 20 or 21 before I admitted to myself that I had been bullied. Because I think with the way bullying is portrayed sometimes in schools, you can feel very weak if you're on the receiving end of it. You can, yeah. you know, you can feel like you're the run to the litter. And I think a lot of us, especially young men, don't want to feel that way. So it did take me many years to admit it to myself. But when I did admit it to myself, it gave me the courage and I suppose the mental ammunition to cut those people off 
and saying, do you know what? No, I'm not happy with how you treated me in the past. I, I want to cut you off. And when I did do that, I, I've said before, I've said to people since, I, pardon my language, there's great power in the words F off. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's, great, there's great power in cutting certain people off because when I, when I did sort of cut ties with these people, there was a weight lifted and I, I can't even put it into words. There was just this feeling of relief. And I know myself that I knew the guys well enough from growing up. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now if I was still friends with them. I couldn't do the podcast appearances. Yeah. I couldn't speak so openly on my Instagram because I'd be afraid of their judgment. They were very close-minded and they were very, like I said before about ambition, they were very mocking when you tried something new. Yeah. So I, I know now I'm far better off you know, w- without them. It's nothing I hold against them personally. It's not that they're bad people. It's just something that happened. And I realized in time that I'm, I'm better off without them. But it did take me, the biggest thing they took from it was the sense of denial and how long it took me to, to admit that. And I wouldn't want anyone else to be in that situation. If you do feel that you're around people that aren't treating you right and you're being treated like the scapegoat of the group, speak up about it and, and maybe cut those people off if you have to. I can totally agree with what you're saying because Like you, when I was uh, 14, 15, I had a group of guys who wanted to beat me up for no reason. I didn't even know them. But it was because I was a little bit alternative and coming into my own style. And I wore different clothes to them. I had my hair bleached. And I would be chased home from school. And it wasn't that uh, because my dad would say, stand up for yourself, fight. And I said, Dad, there's like six of them, you know, and they all just want to beat me up for no reason because I don't even know who they are. I've never spoken to them. Um, And it is a really powerless situation because you don't want to go and talk to teachers and that about the situation. I had to learn to either run really fast or ride my bike really fast because that was the only way I knew how to get away from it. And on weekends and that, they didn't bother me. If I saw them down at the local shops, there was no problem. But it was when I was at school, they had to chase me home. In later years, when Facebook came out, uh, I can't even remember when that was, about 10 years, 15 years ago, these people wanted to be friends with me. And I'm like, why would I want to be friends with someone who terrorised me when I was in my teens? You know, when I just wanted to be cool and accepted and I had good friends, but then I had these guys who would chase me. So my friends wouldn't go home with me, like walk home or anything, because they were worried they'd get beaten up. And now I can laugh at it, you know, and I can say, well, it actually made me stronger because as I went further in life, then I realised I'm not going to let anyone do that to me anymore. But when you're 14, 15, it really, it compounds you and you feel so powerless that you can't do anything. It it does, like you said, it does build a thick skin. And and like you said there about not being able to tell teachers, the school I was in, in fairness to them, they had a brilliant anti-bullying system. Like if, if you were, if like, if you did go to a teacher about someone and, you know, it was a recurring, then that individual was suspended. Like there, there was a great system in place. But for me, like you said, it was happening. It was happening outside of school. It was happening on school buses. Yeah. In fairness, they were, they were smart. It was never happening within the corridors. It was never happening within the grounds. It was outside. And you're confined on that bus, aren't you? You can't escape. So you exactly. have to just be there. Exactly. You have to take it like, so exactly the, in fairness, I think some people are smart about it. They do it in places where there's a gray area where you don't know who to tell. And, um, like you said there about the, uh, like you said about you dressed alternatively, there's, there's a, there's a Japanese proverb and it says, uh, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. And I said before about the area I come from, you know, if you, if you went against the norm and if you stood out, it was almost seen as wrong. 
Yeah. Do you know, and that's why I say if if I was still friends with these guys, I wouldn't be able to do what I do now because you know when you do your own thing and you stand out, that's that's a problem for for some for some people. But like you say about being outnumbered, my my dad had the same reaction: stand up for yourself. And I'm thinking there was one guy in particular; he literally was double my weight. That is no joke. And then he had four or five with them. I thought, what am I going to do? How yeah. what am I going to? How am I going to? Unless I knew jujitsu, how am I going to start? How am I going to fight that <laughs> yeah. battle? Do you know what I mean? I haven't a hope, do you know, but that was, that is, I think that's a father reaction hit back and you think, well, that'd be great. And it, it, if it happened in later years, no bother. If it happened today, no bother. But at the time that that wasn't an option, do you know, but it is a very cowardly act when a group of people come after one person. And there's a, there's a line I have in my book. I heard someone say it years ago, never pick on little boys because they always grow up. And a very ironic twist in the tale is that yeah, the, the one gentleman in that, in that group, the biggest, like when we were about f- maybe 15 he was about 14 stone. He was massive. Like he had hands the size of my head and he was the biggest terrorizer uh, in, in the bullying escapade es- that I went through. And many years later, I'd say it was about two years ago and I was big into my powerlifting at this stage and he had been going to the gym from a young age, but he'd sort of gone off the path since and he'd put on a bit of weight, I think. And I ran into him in a pub and he goes, how are you getting on? And I kind of went, well, how are things? I hadn't sort of cut them off yet. I was still being yeah. polite as such. And he met, he met him in a pub and he goes, come here, will you write me a gym program? And I goes, oh, yeah, yeah, grand, I'll, I'll, I'll sort something out. And he followed me around, I'm not joking, for the guts of an hour, asked me to do this. And I said, that's no bother. I'll write the program in the morning, just let me have a drink and relax. And then he, he started laughing. He goes, ah, but he goes, I'd still beat you though. You know, as in, I'd, I'd still win in a fight. And I went, you would, yeah. I didn't want to argue, you would, yeah. And I thought, how the tables turn. You know, that there's that phrase, small man syndrome. I thought, yeah, isn't yeah. it funny how, it's funny how the tables have turned. It's you coming to me now with your insecurities. But yeah. I, you know, I, I wasn't bad. About it. I said, look, the following morning, I had a text at half eight. He goes, did you write that gym program? I goes, yeah. I sent it on to him. I don't know if he ever did it or not. But it was, it was so ironic how it was him coming to me for help in the end. I thought that really is karma playing, uh, play, playing, its, playing its toll. Yeah. And, and look, um, I mean, I, I don't really talk about being bullied when I was younger. It was only that you brought it up and I thought, yeah, well, I can actually relate to what you're saying. And, yeah, I mean, look, living in today's world with Facebook and things like that, you see news stories where people would go home from school and they still couldn't get away from it. I mean, for me, yeah. I was lucky. Once I was at home, unless they called me on the telephone, which was connected to the wall, they couldn't connect with me. But nowadays you've got a mobile phone. And so for anyone who is experiencing bullying, you know, tell someone and tell your parents and don't be scared to stand up for yourself and tell someone because it could get worse. Um, but it could get better, but you need to do something to protect yourself because it's as people get older, they don't think about these things. The bullies don't think that it was a bad thing, but they just move on from it. And it's something that I don't think they really understand the ramifications that happen to the person you're bullying until later on in life when they reflect back and go, actually, that was really bad what I did to someone. But on the other hand, I know people who have become friends with their bullies in later life. And for me, it's not that I don't forgive. I just don't forget. And I don't want to be friends with someone who terrorized me. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's a case of, I wouldn't hold it against the people in question. And like one of them in particular came back to me and he goes, you know, can we not put this behind us? And I kind of said, no, because I forgive. But like I say, I can't forget. And I don't want to, I think you kind of get, I'm very, I'm someone I, I really feel an energy off someone. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to be around that energy of someone who used to treat me that way. No. And uh, but like you say there, you know, with today's age, cyberbullying is a huge thing. Like you say, you can't get away from it now. And there's like 
there'd be embarrassing photos that go up over Facebook and they get shared or on, you know, like on the bus when I was getting terrorized, there'd be videos coming up on Snapchat and, you know, you go into school the following morning, everyone has saw it and you're the one humiliated because you couldn't fight back. So like you say, it's, it's getting harder and harder to, to get away from. So I would say to people, definitely, if you are experiencing this, please, please speak up. I was talking in a school for Christmas and um, I, I was talking to, they were sort of maybe 14 and 15 year olds. And I really wanted to, there's a lot of young lads in the class. I really wanted to hammer home the, the bullying point. And I sort of, like, I, I like to look around, you know, the, the room, make eye contact with everyone as I'm talking. And I said, you know, I says, particularly in Irish culture among young teens, maybe worldwide as well, there's a big uh, hard man culture or an alpha male culture as such uh, where, you know, someone has to be the big man. Someone has to be the leader of the pack. And because of that, someone becomes the runt of the litter. Someone becomes the easy target. And for, and for me, you know, for, in my case, that was me. And I said, you know, be very careful how you treat people because neither you nor them realize the impact you're having. I think there's a statistic that says a lot of uh, young men who are bullied in their teenage years, they suffer with their mental health in their, in their, in their forties, I think. Definitely. You know, so the person who's been bullied doesn't even realize the ramifications and the person who's doing the bullying doesn't realize. So I, I said, be very careful how you treat people because you haven't a clue what you're doing to them. And as I was talking, I could just see a couple of heads in the class drop. And yeah. I thought, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've not in a bad way. I thought I found the culprits here. I just yeah. saw a few, there were a few lads who were sort of messing as I was talking and then they just stopped. I thought, right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've found them. So it's interesting. It's interesting how it, it sort of triggered a few people in, in the class, but definitely I really want to drive home that point that there's such formative years between 13 and 15 you know, and 16, you know, and how you treat someone will stay with them forever. You know, so to really be careful. So as I, ho- I hope to do more talks in schools in the future, and I really hope to talk more ab- about that point. Yeah. And if you're the alpha male in the group, uh, let the rest of your group know that it's just not okay to bully young people in your group or other people. I mean, we are so, we realise now how bad domestic violence is and we have so many campaigns against men hurting women in any way, which is fantastic. We also need to bring something like that in for young men to let young men know, you know, 15-year-olds, that it's not okay to bully. Absolutely. It it changes your whole outlook on life and it moulds your brain into a a way of fight or flight where you constantly have anxiety about, am I going to get beaten up tonight? Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that fight or flight because what I found was that before I cut these people off, before I sort of, like I said before, came to terms with the bullying and accepted it, like I would have went through my late teens, like I said, still in denial about this. But what I found was that when I met new people, particularly if I met new people through this group of guys, I would be on high alert and my brain would be thinking, these new people are going to treat me and they're going to look down on me the same way these other guys have. And that really yeah. affected my ability to, you know, to make friendships. And like when mm-hmm. I came to college and I met a lot of great people, I sort of realized, okay, not everyone is like that, but yeah. it took me a long time to realize that. So like you said, fight or flight, I was on high alert when I met new people. Are these people going to treat me the exact same? So it really uh, harmed my perception of the new people that I met. So absolutely, that's another long lasting effect as well. Yeah. And the anxiety, once you start getting anxiety when you're young, I mean, that can carry on right throughout your life. Absolutely. But that doesn't outweigh you know, the countless young people who have committed suicide because of that. You know, It doesn't oh, always definitely. build a thick skin. Sometimes exactly it has the worst effect. So it's, it, I think we'd, we'd be better off without it, you know, in, yes. in, in that sense. Absolutely. And that also stems back to parents uh, teaching their kids right and wrong, doesn't it? Although, look, there are countless reasons why children 
uh, hit out and it can be because they're in a family that their domestic violence is normal and they're getting hit all the time. So they feel that that's okay to hit other people. But something needs to be worked out. But look, it's really good that you're sharing your experiences because it will help other people. And that's why it's important that you're speaking out. And your book was called Normal by Connor Nolan. So people need to buy that book so that they can uh, have a read. All right, so let's move on to relationships. Is this personal relationships, uh, uh, girlfriend relationships? What sort of relationships? These are, like I said, in my book, I suppose there's a mixture. Um, Like I mentioned before, I mentioned, I think it was the first or second episode I talked about this idea of a conveyor belt of how people uh, come and go. And that was something that really helped me in terms of accepting how some people stay in our lives uh, and other people don't. But there is a, there is a, a section in my book about a romantic relationship that I would have had, say, around the age of 18 and 19. And I learned, I learned a lot of lessons from that to take forward into other relationships. And that's, there's a very um, famous phrase, I think I saw it on Instagram one time, it said, never put the keys to your happiness in someone else's pocket. It can happen to people, it happened to me, and it can happen in relationships where you become almost reliant on your, on your other half, you know, for your happiness and their actions and their moods can completely dictate how you feel. Yeah. And I think a great statement I once heard is that for, in order for a relationship to work very well, you've got two people who are perfectly happy within themselves and then they come together to make a, you know, to make, well, perfect is the wrong word, but two happy people who come together to make a happy couple. If yeah. you've got, I suppose, one using the other as a crutch, you know, that, that can be a problem. So for me, you know, when I started college, like I said, I was feeling a lot of anxiety and I was struggling with being away from home despite wanting to get away from home for so long. I, you know, like my girlfriend at the time, I was really, she was a huge part of my happiness. So if we had any bit of a row or anything like that, I would completely crumble. And then as the year went on and a breakup became almost inevitable, that completely shattered me. So I learned very quickly to keep your happy, keep your, of course, you're, you know, it's going to be hard, no matter how happy you are in yourself, if, if your relationship breaks down, of course, you're going to be distraught. But to keep your happiness Keep control of your own happiness in a sense. Have your own things going on outside of a relationship. You know, and if someone if someone wants to go, there's nothing you can do to make them stay. And you know, and that works in, in both ways. But I learned a lot about, I suppose, the toxicity of relationships sometimes. I my ex-girlfriend said something that I, I really should have noticed as a as a red flag one time. We we're talking, I was talking about my powerlifting and I was very excited about some competition I had. And she said words to the effect of, I wish you'd stop discussing it. And I kind of said, Why? And she said, well, like, I don't think I'm ever going to achieve anything like that. So I hate when you talk about it. And that, that, that really, now looking back, that should have been a huge red flag that someone doesn't want you to achieve your best because they're not achieving their best. And yeah, they don't want to links, support you. Exactly. And it links back to what I said before about ambition. There's a phrase to say, when you get your life together, you will lose some people. And there's other phrases like lonely at the top and all that. But, you know, when, when you express ambition, other people can become uncomfortable. And if that happens in a relationship, that's a huge red flag because I do feel that no matter what, you know, no matter what you want to do, a partner who really cares for you will support you. And that should work both ways. You should, you should do the same yeah. for them. So that, that for me was, was a huge red flag. So I learned a lot about, I suppose, the supportive nature of a relationship of what defines a toxic relationship. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I learned, I suppose, to take forward with me, you know, and I learned how they do say that your first love is, is the hardest. I definitely would agree with that. When you lose that one, that is a difficult one. So yeah. for any, for any young people, who have gone to their first breakup my, my deepest sympathies because that one is not easy but um, <laughs> they're lessons I took from a romantic relationship but in terms of friendships as well I learned a lot about the toxic nature of people and I talk a lot about, about character and I say character is made up of three pillars character is made up of there's um, 
what was it, open-mindedness, determination, and gratitude. And you will meet different levels of those in different people you meet. Yeah. And I talk about how I found those three pillars in myself, but I found them through different people. So I found open-mindedness through the people I met in college. I found determination through a very, very good friend of mine named Kyle, uh, who has his own business. And I found um, gratitude through uh, the mother of a friend of mine. She was a, a counselor. We spoke a lot about gratitude. Yeah. And I say that, you know what, good character is, is a person who has a good balance of all three of those. Now, some will have more than others, but they'll have a good balance of all three. And I say that when you come across someone whose character and his personality doesn't match with you, you're going to clash and that's okay. You know, and those people might, might not be around for very long. And there's a line I have in my book where I say, you can't please everyone. And the yeah. quicker you learn that, the happier you will be. So there are people who you won't gel with. And I think this idea that we have to be friends with everyone is completely bogus because you can't. And even with, in terms of trying to be nice to everyone, you can be nice to everyone to an extent. But if they're not accepting of your niceness and if they think you're, if they just don't like you as a person, that's fine. You know, let them, let them move on. After my, after my, the breakup of, of my relationship, I, I had a realization where obviously when, I suppose when you go through a breakup, especially when you're young, the, your partner's friends are going to turn on you. That, that's fairly obvious. Yeah. So I had this, I had this thought where, okay, my ex-girlfriend hates my guts now. Her friends surely don't like me. And I thought, oh, how am I a good person? How am I a good person if, because so many people tell me, they go, oh, Connor, you're, you're a lovely guy and all this. And I thought, well, how am I a good person if I know there are people on this planet who despise me? You know, there are people on this planet who hate the sight of me. How am I a good person? And I was watching, there's this guy I'm a big fan of, I mentioned him before, Steve Harvey. He's been divorced twice. And he says, you know, he goes, I've, I've had marriages break down. And he's still a loved character. And I looked at him and thought, all that he's gone through, all the people he's probably, pardon my language, pissed off in his life. Well, then surely I'm not, I'm not doing too bad. No. You know, I had this realization, you, like that's why I say, you cannot please everyone. You don't have to be loved by everyone to be a good person. Not everyone is going to, you know, love the, 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 the ground you walk on. So it's a case of, as you get older, being okay with people not liking you, being okay with people, you know, not being a big fan of you. And I suppose you, you grow to accept that. So that's something I learned through, I suppose, friendships and, and things like that as well. You're right, because I'm a lot older than you. I'm 50. And at the moment, I would say I probably have six to 10 really close friends that I might not see for six months, but we'd catch up on the phone. But they're people I could always call on if I need to. I've had friends that I've lost over the years, girlfriends that I've lost over the years. But, yeah, you're right. The first one is the hardest. When you first break up with that first one, you wonder how you're ever going to survive, what exactly. you did wrong. And especially if they're in a big group of friends, then it's like hard when you want to go out anywhere because they're still coming and they're mouthing off about you and you're mouthing exactly. off about them. But as you get older, you realise that none of it really matters anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. As you age, exactly. you just go, okay, well, look, these people don't like me. That's okay because I've got hundreds of other people that do. And if they don't like me, that's okay yeah. too. As long as, I, as long as I'm compassionate and I do good things for good people, then you can never go wrong. Exactly. I've met a lot of people through, you know, through college and I think that's the, the best part of the college experience is the people you meet. And I've met certain, like, in fairness, I must say the vast majority of people I've met have taken to me very well. And I would consider myself an easy person to get along with. But there's the odd person you come across who just takes a disliking to you and you kind of wonder why. And one thing I noticed a lot of when I went out in college is I'd go out and I'd, I'd be wearing a, a tight shirt. I'm very proud of the physique I have now. And people would kind of say to you, God, you're 
you think you're great, don't you? And I, I kind of look at them and think, <laughs> I have, I, I'm, like, I'm like, I haven't opened my mouth. I haven't said a word to you. I've only said hello. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, big man. And I kind of said, well, like, show me, it's not my fault the shirt's tight. You know, that kind of way. And, you know, people can be very, very bitter. And I, one thing I've often been called is I've often been called arrogant. Now, I don't consider myself to be an arrogant person. You know, I would consider myself to be a very confident person. And I think, I think arrogant and cocky line up together. I think confidence is when you believe in yourself and arrogance is when you sort of put other people down to believe yeah. in yourself. So I wouldn't consider myself arrogant. But it, it happened a few times and I kind of thought about the word. And whenever I hear the word arrogant, I think of, um, I'm a big fan of football. I think of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. And he's probably the most, I was thinking about this yesterday. He's probably the most simultaneously loved and hated person on the planet because he's loved by everyone who loves football. He's such a charitable man. But then you've got people saying, oh, he's a pretty boy. He's this, that and the other. And then I got thinking to myself, there was a very famous conversation when he was at Manchester United. I think he was 22. Him and a few guys were discussing who's the best footballer to ever play. Some of them said Maradona, some of them said Pele, and Ronaldo said me. And he was 22, and everyone kind of looked at him and thought, that's a bit um, that's a bit forward. But you fast forward 14 years, he's now 36. He's got five Ballon d'Ors, five Champions Leagues. He's one of the best athletes to walk the planet. I don't think he cares that he's arrogant. I don't yeah. think fans of Portugal are clubs he's played for care that he's arrogant. I don't think there was a very famous case of a young a young guy who needed surgery. The surgery cost 90,000. Ronaldo paid for it. I don't think yeah. that family care about it. You know, so I think the insult of arrogance, I think it's a very sort of flimsy insult. I think it's a very petty insult. And one emotion I've sort of learned a lot about throughout my life is the emotion of jealousy. Yeah. And I think when we feel it or when others feel it, it's very good to look into. If you ever feel jealousy or envy of someone, I think it's, it's good to look into it and think, well, why do I feel this way? Yeah. Because if I'm, if I'm jealous of something someone has, well, why can't I obtain that? If I'm jealous of their job or their salary or whatever it is, well, surely I can get to that point. There's no need for me to be jealous. They're just a few steps ahead. And if someone is jealous of us, they need to take a look in the mirror as well. So I think jealousy and envy, if, if you're someone who's on the receiving end of that, if someone is showing jealousy and envy towards you or someone thinks you're arrogant or you're this, that and the other, I wouldn't be bothered by it. I, I would have been bothered by it when I was younger, but I've sort of, I've, it, it sort of brushes over my, me now like water over it looks back because I think that when someone speaks negatively of you, I think it says a lot more about them than it does about you. Exactly. And if someone has, if someone has the negativity of personality to call you arrogant or cocky or this, that and the other, well, surely something's missing in them. And what I mean by missing is maybe they're not living up to who they want to be as a person. Maybe there's an achievement or two missing in them. Maybe they're not becoming the person they want to become and they see you doing that and that sort of annoys them. So I think if, if anybody, like I said before about ambition, when you do what you want to do, you lose people. Anyone who is striving towards their goals and they're receiving these kind of comments, do not mind it. Keep walking. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. Don't mind it. Because envy is one of those things where, I mean, being envious of someone is showing that they have the lack of determination that you had to get your body yeah. to where you wanted it to be. And they're looking yeah. at you going, oh, God, I wish I could look like that. Oh, what's wrong with you? Why yeah. are you so cocky? Well, it's because they're saying that because they don't know how you got that determination, how you had yeah. that iron will to go, well, I am going to look my best. I am going to do my weights. But they might be more interested in being at the pub five nights a week when you're training. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people don't understand that you have to give up some things to be able to have the other things. I mean, I don't have a great yeah. body. I don't do any exercise. So that's okay. If I did exercise and I wasn't getting what I wanted, then I'd be, I would probably be envious if I saw you. I'd go, oh, my God, you know, I'm working out every day and I can't get like that. But, you know, the, the best thing to do would be to come up and say to you, hey, Connor, how did you get that body? 
And then you'd go, exactly. well, actually what I did was I work out three nights a week. I eat this sort of food. Right, great. Thank you so much. That'll help me to get to what you've done. But they look exactly. at you and they go, oh, cocky guy, look at him. He thinks he's all this. Whereas <laughs> they just don't have the determination or um, willpower to just get in and do what you're doing. Exactly. Like you said, there were people coming up to you. There was a, I was, it's, in the, it's in my book about how I began to, it was part of me, me realising I could help people. There was, um, I was in a nightclub and I was, I, I had a few drinks in me now. I was fairly, I was fairly on it as the phrase goes. And, and this fella, come, and in fairness, I admire this man for coming up to me because to approach a stranger in a nightclub or, or a pub to have it, like to start this kind of conversation took a lot of courage. He came up to me and he says, uh, he says, man, how are you? He goes, look, he says, I just want to compliment you. You're, you're in great shape. And I goes, oh, thanks a million. And he, he, was, uh, he was in grand shape himself. He, you know, he had a wee bit of weight on. He, he said to me, um, he's, look, he says, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. He says, have you any advice? And it was very loud. I, I kind of, we kind of went down in the smoking area. So we'll we'll <laughs> chat here. It's quieter. You know, so we, we step into the office here with a proper chat. He told me he was down about maybe three or four kilos, but he wanted to lose another 10. And yep. you know, we discussed, I, I discussed food and I discussed exercise and I says, look, if you want to go to a gym, make sure you talk to a trainer, don't just go in and do your own thing and all this sort of stuff. And he, and he, he said something to me, he said, he says, uh, I asked him, how was the journey going so far? He says, it's going good, but he goes, I'm just finding it very hard. I'm finding it hard to find the motivation and it's just, it's hard to stick to a plan. And I said, look, I says, I know how you feel. I says, at the time, I says, look, I says, about seven or eight years ago, I was anorexic and I says, I was on the verge of dying from being too small. And, and you know, I managed to turn things around. And I remember, I'll never forget him looking me up and down. And he said, what? And I said, no, 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 you, you heard me right. And he, he was he was shocked. And I think, I hope I gave him the lift he needed you know, yeah. to keep going further. So we talked for another while. We shook hands and we parted ways. And he goes, look, he says, you're an inspiration. Thank you. And I goes, look, best of luck. And it was a conversation. I remember leaving the nightclub on a high that night. I'll never forget that conversation. And I'll never forget when I told him that I had gone from anorexia to where I was now. I'll never forget his jaw dropping. And I do hope that that gave him a bit of a bit of a kick along his his physical journey. But like you say, that was so much more beneficial for him to ask me that question than to just look and go, oh, what a what a you know what a cocky you know, he is. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But no, that was a, it was a, and it was a conversation that I will remember and cherish the rest of my life as well. Yeah, uh, I spoke to this guy called Jerry a couple of months ago, and he's a DJ, and he was saying that um, one day a guy came up to him and said, "You know what, Jerry, you're an asshole." And he said, now I could have got, <laughs> I could have got aggro and gone, what, he's saying that to me. He said, but I actually yeah. said to him, look, mate, I actually respect you. That's your opinion. I don't believe it, but that's your opinion and I'm an asshole and that's okay. <laughs> and I just thought exactly. that was really good because, you know, yeah, people have their own opinion. Doesn't mean you have to take it to heart. He said, people call me lots of names. He goes, but I don't have to believe it. Exactly. I was talking on, I think, an interview before about, you know, the opinions of other people and th this idea that I don't care what anyone thinks, anyone who says that is lying because we yeah. all care what, what others think to some extent, you know. And there's a very famous, he's a British comedian called Mickey Flanagan and I use this analogy of his when I talk about uh, people's opinions. So for me, I care about the opinions of friends and family. I care about the opinions of colleagues and acquaintances, you know, and all that sort of stuff, people who are close to me. But beyond that, I, I don't really care. A stranger who walks by me on the street, if they say, Connor, you're an arsehole, that's no bother at all. Have a nice day. And there's a, there's a very famous sketch, Mickey Flanagan, he says, he lives in a housing estate and he says, three doors at the side, they're your neighbours, right? So he says hello to them. But beyond that, he goes, I just say, all right. So he's got his three houses at the side. So for me, my three houses at the side are friends and family and colleagues. They get... I care about their opinions and beyond yep. those three houses, I don't care. 
So it's it's a very it's a I think it's a very good um, analogy. It's a very good way of looking at it. Oh, it is because yeah, so many people fear what people are thinking of them when in reality people that you bump into probably aren't even thinking about you. They're thinking about what they're cooking for dinner or where they've got to go on the weekend. But we think, oh, my God, I wonder what that person's thinking of me. And when we can sort of think, who cares? I don't even know who they are. Then we worry less. Our anxiety goes down and we seem to enjoy life a lot more. I think there's a phrase to say when you're when you're 20, you know, that you, you care what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you don't care. And then when you're 60, you realize no one was thinking about you at all. Do you know, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's a very good analogy. And like you say, it shows as we get older, we begin to I think we you know, like we have more going on as well. We've more on our plate, we've more priorities. Like you say, we've we've got bills, this, that, and the other. We're more concerned about our own lives than what someone else thinks. And I think that's it's a great part of being like like I said before, but when you do your own thing and when you're busy, if you've a lot on your plate, you haven't got time to be concerned about what others think. But I think, yeah, it's definitely a part of as we get older as well. As we leave our teens and our 20s, I think we do become less concerned about the opinions of others, definitely. I value feedback on the podcast, in my job, that sort of thing. But as I was saying before, it's an opinion from someone. So if I don't agree with it, that's okay too. And exactly. you, might, you might find sometimes that someone gives you an opinion and when you don't agree with it, they're not happy because they want you to do what they think you should be doing. But when you go, okay, yeah. thanks for the feedback, but, you know, I'm okay where I am, they don't like exactly. it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I think when, when you have the courage to sort of ignore that, people can yeah. go, hold on a second, you're meant to listen to me. And it's like, well, no, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. That's your opinion and you do you and I'm fine. Don't worry. So I, was on, I was on a podcast with a gentleman a couple of months ago and we are talking about something similar to this and he said... Um, he said, Connor, when I started my podcast, I got all these comments. Oh, I like this, but you should do this, 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 and this. I think this would be better. And he said, that's grand. Um, where's your podcast? And they yeah. went, what? Well, if, you've, if you know all this, where's your podcast? And it was a very good reply. You know, it's like, well, if you know all this, you should do it yourself. Because clearly I know nothing. There was a great video I saw. Um, there was a, a shark caught in, um, in, in uh, fish wire in, uh, in like a bay or something. These two guys get in and they, and they get in to try and untangle it. And there's two people on the shore who are shouting out these instructions and <laughs> what the most part of the show. And it's like, you know, it's like, if you know so much, why are you standing on the shore? You know what I mean? You'd never see those people in there. And, it, and there's, like, I think I mentioned before, there's a poem by Theodore Roosevelt, um, The Man in the Arena. I might, might have mentioned it in the previous podcast, but how it's the person who is in the ring, it's the person who is doing their best and who is in battle and who is, you know, in this position where they might fail. They're the person who matters. It's not the opinion of the outsider, you know. It's, exactly. It's That's is, really, really good what yeah. you just said there. Yeah, because I've seen the same video and, you know, I, I guess we all like to think that we're a bit of an expert when we're standing on the yeah. sidelines. <laughs> but, um, I mean, those guys were working really hard to get this shark free and these other people just wouldn't shut up. They're just like they knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 All right, Connor. Well, look, um, I think that's it. I think we've done really well. We've done. Lovely. We've got, we've got plenty of chat in there indeed. Yeah, yeah. And look, it's really important that uh, people take a look at your book. It's Connor Nolan. It's uh, normal, 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 (laughs) normal. I should remember. Yeah. So do you want to tell people where they can buy it from? Absolutely. So it's uh, like you said, it's normal by Connor Nolan. So it's available worldwide uh, on Amazon or you can go to my my own personal website. That's uh, connornolanauthor.com. That's Connor with one N. Uh, you can find links to my book, links to my uh, past uh, interviews and stuff like that as well and more information. So that's where you can find everything. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, uh, 
Connor, for coming and doing these four podcasts. I can't believe that it was only a few months ago that you sent me an email and then we've recorded all this information <laughs> for people and, and people love you. They, they really do love what you talk about and that you've had the guts to stand up and talk about what's happened to you and be so normal and normal like your book. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you've really you've put a lot of information out there, which is really important. And the importance of you as well is because you're younger than me, um, these are things that younger people can relate to. It's all right for me to come on and talk about anorexia and bullying and stuff like that. But being 50, most people that are listening would go, okay, that's an opinion of a 50-year-old. But to have you come on at 22 and talk about your past seven or eight years, talk about them in depth and be open about them, that can then resonate with those younger people and go, oh, actually my brother or actually my sister or my cousin or, you know, or my son, you know, is going through this. And it's really important that you speak out like you have. And look, I wish you all the best in the future because I think you've got a a huge career um, on the stage as a communicator and speaker. And I wish you well, my friend. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on. Uh, thanks everyone for the feedback and thanks for everyone who listened in. And yes, thanks a million for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank oh, you so look, much. The pleasure is is mine because you were just so great and such a great communicator, great, great stories. It's been really, really good. So thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.